coming up on the podcast. We've actually just done it, but I, it was amazing. We've just were eating all this cheese and all these beautiful products. You're going to learn heaps from Michael and Fino Foods. Um, this one is one of my favourites. So Fino Foods, Michael Dalton. Uh, yeah, coming up right now. Hello. Testing, testing. Crack your beer, mate. Mr. Michael Dalton, Fino Foods. Fino Foods, in my opinion, is a company that supplies amazing products into restaurants and little fine sort of uh, supermarkets, top-end beautiful stuff, only the best for everyone. But is that true, Michael Dalton? <laughs> oh, thanks, Graham, and uh, thanks for having me here. Um, I'd like to think so. We do our best, you know. We've got, um, um, we enjoy what we do, um, you know, so it's about just, uh, you know, I think um, connecting the producers that we really enjoy dealing with and that we respect and that we um, we love eating their products um, with the, um, you know, the delis and the chefs that we really enjoy dealing with as well and whose work we respect as well. Okay, well, that's it. See you later. That's it, yeah. Okay, so you've got a, a big range of product. Would you say it's a big range? Would you say? Or I mean, yeah, I've got too much stuff. Way yeah, yeah. too much stuff. It's um, look, I, I really, I really want to dive into to some of the amazing products now. Um, but just so if, if you don't know, Fina Foods is in Brisbane. It's in Sydney uh, as well. That's yep. right. Opened yep. up in Sydney about a year or eighty months ago, two years ago, nearly three years ago now. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, yeah. So all the people down in Sydney, which uh, a lot of our listeners are actually in Sydney. So um, yeah probably know about you and if they don't know about you they do now but tell us about some of these individual products i just you know give us your top 12 favorite sort of things you know i know it's hard to pick favorites particularly if you've got more than one of the same thing yeah look favorites are difficult but uh, i think it's like the what are the products that i take home myself and then i just always have so uh i'll always have a good piece of um reggiano in the fridge always it's great table cheese that's often overlooked you can use it in cooking all types of cooking it's great it's wonderful great for snacks um i'd always have some mount zero olives in the in the cupboard always um uh, again they're just great for you know friends drop over and have a drink whatever you got those they last forever so big big um uh, bowl of those anchovies from olastagasti uh beautiful cantabrian anchovies Use them in cooking, you know, again, wonderful for snacks as well. So, yeah, those sort of things. And the shoyu from Yamaki. So, yeah, lots of little snacky things and uh, lots of kind of seasoning things. I have good olive oil as well. Yeah, no brainer. Okay, so so just where did this come from? Like you're a Brisbane boy. You went mm. to school with some of my mates from out here at the market, mm. Anthony and Paul and a few others. But, you know, met them in the yacht club. You obviously, none of you, I mean, in the rowing club. Obviously, none of you yeah. do that anymore. Maybe Anthony. Uh, but, you know, where does this passion for good food come from? Well, um, my parents had restaurants when I was when I was very young. And then, um, you know, uh, after selling that, food was just always a, a really important part of my, uh, you know, family life. So, you know, good occasions were always marked with, you know, important dinners and and things like that. So it really um, – that was the background from my, from my parents um, – and then, uh, you know, realising that I was going to be, I studied law and economics at, um, at university and uh, realising that I was going to make, it towards the end of that degree, a really, really terrible lawyer. <laughs> uh, and it was interesting enough, but uh, my heart was just not in it. <laughs> um, 
So I got out of that and got a job in a kitchen as you as you often uh, do, and just really fell in love with it. I fell in love with the, like the rush of uh, of a service in a, in a restaurant, of course the food, um, and then I guess my interest just went into you know um, some of the the background about where the products came from. I, I love learning about uh, you know the history of the products, you know where, where it's been produced, something of the culture as well, um, you know something of the environment, something of the you know, the chemistry that goes into it. Uh, I just find that absolutely fascinating. And then the ability to work with some amazing chefs and restaurateurs as well and see their creativity and, um, you know, it was just something I absolutely fell in love with. So, you know, sort of grew out of a garage and then, you know, little by little. Easy to do. And I remember when I uh, first came across you probably 10 odd years ago, maybe, I don't know when it was, but... um. You had those beautiful black and white pictures up of your producers. Yeah, that was over when you were in um, over near the yeah, Bilimba. Garage. Yeah, yeah, Bilimba. Yeah, um, you had those beautiful black and white pictures, which really inspired me. I ended up getting some of my producers, which are all up with the noose shit. I've got to bring them down. But, um, yeah, and that really, really inspired me. I remember that it was like a long share table. You had a coffee machine. Mm. It must have been where you brought chefs and, and told them about and they could see and be inspired by the photos. I know that taking chefs to farms and... Um, and shown in the process that you were sort of talking about really inspires them and makes sure that, you know, they can do justice to the product and 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 when they're selling it and looking after it in their fridges and stuff, they really, really respect it. So I think, you know, I could say thank you for doing that because I think it's uh, such an important part of the process and mm. uh, of actually enjoying the food and for them to make the food even better for the customer. But Let's get down and dirty. Tell me about your cheese range because, you know, I, I don't know what this bit ad, but, you know, like we've got a fantastic, <laughs> you've just got so many great products. So I think it would be foolish not to talk about them. So, yeah, cheese is a big part of what we do and it's one of the, like it's a remarkable food stuff. It, um, you know, it's one of those one of those things where there's only, you know, there's only a sort of finite number of steps along the way but, um, you know, the number of sort of permutations and combinations of where, the decisions that can be made along along that road and you end up at the end with literally hundreds and hundreds of different styles of cheese that are vastly different. Um, um, so we we try and do as much Australian cheese um, as we can and we're always, always on the hunt for great Australian and emerging uh, Australian uh, cheesemakers um, and we, we import um, as well. So, so some of the iconic cheeses we import. Um, but... Mate, some of the ones that we've brought along today, um, just a couple of my favourites. So we've got an Appenzeller from uh, Dellendale Creamery in Western Australia, this guy here. Yeah. Um, uh, cow's milk, beautiful, kind of nutty, uh, great cooking cheese. You can do heaps with, the cho- uh, with uh, cooking as well um, and great for melting, um, but beautiful table cheese as well. And then from Barry Charlton in Gippsland of Victoria, the um, his Buffalo Milk Blue. Barry's one of the... I think he's one of the great cheesemakers of the world, actually. He's one of the great blue cheesemakers. Hang on. This um, noise in the background. <laughs> I'm getting some sourdough ready. Cripple, cripple. Because we have to have a little bit of this, this bread. Bread social. And that's yeah. me drinking my beer. Okay. You, you want to cut that up, Nick? Um, mm. Yeah, we'll try a couple of those. Loving this bread, yeah, by the way. Maybe bread social bread's been Just awesome. be careful of the boardroom table, but go for your life. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Barry's, Barry's an amazing cheesemaker. He's a... Um, he specialises in blue cheese, although he does whenever he dabbles in something else, it's always incredible. Yeah. Um, but this Buffalo Milk Blue, really unique. He was probably the first producer in the world of this type of cheese. And it's really, it's an Australian classic. I hope that in, you know, in, in the future, we'll, there will always be a Buffalo Milk Blue. And now, um, 
Now, as a part of your like education for mm. your customers, I know you took a busload of people down and you saw some producers down in Byron area and we ended up at uh, Stone and Wood there where you mm. put on all that cheese and mm. put the butcher's paper out and a heap of wonderful chefs on the Gold Coast and Byron came uh, down. Um, you know, that's, a, that's a, a lot of effort and a lot of, um, you know, you know, work that goes in for you to, to organise those things. Um, how important is that and uh, are you going to be doing some more in this funny year that we've got, you know, coming up? Yeah, yeah, it has been a funny year, to put it mildly, hasn't it? <laughs> hasn't it, <grown> Yeah, <laughs> let, let's do one anyway. Yeah. We should do one anyway because... Uh, yeah, we should, yeah. we should. Uh, it'll involve lots of booze, yeah. <laughs> as, as our trips always do. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, look, I can't wait to get it back into that sort of stuff. Like, it really feels like, on one hand, it's been, you know, you had the podcast the other the other day on this, but on one hand, we've been on pause. On one hand, we've never worked faster and changed more <laughs> than ever. So looking forward to it being over whenever that and, happens. And in that change, you know, for you and for me, you know, like I, I really want to do a big shout-out to all of my staff. Um you know, quite often that people see me as the face of the company, but I tell you, whenever I say me or I, I just want everyone to know that I am talking about my whole team because they are they are really, really fantastic. And I'm not sure that I got that quite across in my last podcast, so I'm putting it in this one. But I know that you've told me that on many occasions. Likewise, how amazing mate, your team it, is. Um, it, uh, it, I'd like to say it goes without saying, but it does deserve saying. Yeah. My, my team have been, been amazing and, uh, you know, my wife as well is yeah. uh, a partner in the business with me. It's been incredible. But that's a, that's a story I've seen repeated way more times than not, you know, with our clients, with our producers. You know, it has been quite remarkable how well people have pulled together and how well people have shouldered this, like, really pretty substantial amount of stress and substantial amount of uh, of change um you know it's it's been it has been like you wouldn't wish it upon <laughs> the mm. world but having mm. had it there's been some amazing things come out of it mm. but, um, but yeah look um i think with specialty food um you can't just read a line on a spreadsheet about it you've got to taste it because it's about taste right and i think um we're not a health food company, but many of our products are, you know, naturally produced, use raw milk, uh, use traditional methods, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, but, um, and that comes for us. That doesn't come because we're seeking out the healthy products first. It comes because we're, we're taste forward. So if something tastes great, that's what, we, that's what we are massively concerned about. And if you want to understand these products, it starts with taste. And then if you want to go further than that, this is the awesome thing about products that taste great, that really genuinely taste great, is because they will have a producer behind them that cares, that knows more about this product than anyone else in the world. They will have, uh, you know, cared for their animals. They they will have cared for their pastures, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and often it'll come out of a, a culture that, uh, that it'll be, um, that has a place in the history of the place where it comes from as well. Um, and that's the remarkable thing about really good quality products. They do have these like multiple layers that you can you can learn about, but it all starts with taste. Um, yeah, easy. Okay, let's go. No, mm. uh, so that was you know you, you touched on a lot of products there, but we, and we were talking about the cheese. But um, I know that this um, you know you got the salumi guys down the down in bar and uh, and they're amazing. I think a lot of people know about salumi, um, but uh, and we can come back to them. I'm sure, but 
this soya sauce that you gave me for Christmas, mm. or no, you gave me the other day, actually. You actually gave me one for Christmas as well. But I didn't tell you that the other night at dinner. <laughs> but, um, yeah. You would have used it by now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, surely. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I actually shared it with the kids. Um, so, yeah, tell us about that because the story you told me the other night about that was crazy. So we've got this motto at Fino, like elevating every day. And I think it's about, well, where can we have most impact? Everyone knows about caviar, you know, truffles, et cetera, all amazing products, which we don't sell, but they're all amazing products. Um, they're expensive. They're exclusive. I'm actually not that interested in that sort of stuff, though. I, I'm more interested in, you know, what are the what are the basic products that we might just kind of look over or just assume that are, that are every day and um, what – like the question is for me as a provider, like what would it mean if I could go and find like the world's best shoyu or soy sauce? Um, so that's kind of where it started. It also started with a, you know, trip to Japan and like learning about this amazing, you know, you know, thousand plus year of unbroken culinary tradition. Every um, chef needs to go to Japan. That's oh, incredible. You yeah. have to go. Yeah. It's like the food food heart of the world, in my opinion. Absolutely. And you get a, you can get off the plane and have an incredible experience, but, you know, and it will be amazing and mind-blowing, but you're only scraping the surface. Mm. Um, so shoyu is the iconic foundational product, I guess, of Japanese cuisine. So it was a, uh, you know, project that went for about, you know, it was at least six years before we got our first introduction, six years of kind of work and, you know, knocking on doors, etc. Excuse me. Um, and we found Yamaki Jozo. Um, we actually introduced them through a cookbook author who I met in San Francisco, Nancy Singleton Hutchison. Um, Nancy's been written some of the like the most famous Japanese cookbooks in English, um, and she lives. She's lived in um, just um, you know about forty minutes on the fast train outside Tokyo. So and, about um, so five hundred k's. Just about. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, we just connect, connected over like one of those food. Con- you know, if you're a food person, you can have a conversation, and two minutes later, you'll know. Okay, this person gets it. You understand. Mm. You know, you're part of the club. And food, kind of worldwide, is a pretty small place. Like we we immediately had heaps of connections, and um, and and it was through her that we got that introduction to the Yamaki Jozo. Yamaki, Jose means fermentation house, and Yamaki is uh, over a hundred year old family owned company. Um, they make um, uh, they make amazing tofu. They might look like a lot of people say I don't like tofu, don't understand it. Go on a pilgrimage to Yamaki Jozo and eat their fresh tofu. It's mind blowing. Uh, but they also make miso and shoyu, two two products that are very close in their fermentation processes. Um, so we got introduced to them, visited the factory. It was incredible. Um, taste got to see the pressing of the shoyu, and um, and then it was through Yamaki Jozo that we were introduced to other producers throughout Japan of that similar um, similar caliber. And I guess in Japan, Japan's a big country and. Um, but again, food is a pretty small community and you talk to one person at a certain level and I'll introduce you to another person who will introduce you to another person. They all know each other. And it's been the same in Italy and Spain and, um, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful community, good mm. food. So this show you is um, I use it all the time. So obviously in all the, the normal soy sauce applications, but also it's like one of these sort of hidden seasonings you can use. So if you're making like a bolognese kind of ragu would be a good example. You can use this as a, as a way of introducing salt and seasoning, but also like that, that kind of hidden 
background, you know, much overused term, umami kind of flavour to it. So you don't want to use so much that you go, oh, there's soy sauce in this. But just that, you know, you're introducing a flavour of long fermentation mm. to a dish you're just making then and there. It is sort of smooth on the palate, isn't it? It's, it's, it really it's, it's is, It's not yeah. sharp or salty. It's, it's salty mm. but smooth almost. Yeah. So there's some obvious differences about this. And, again, I, I think, like, we're, as providors, we're not experts in any one of these fields by any means. Um, we kind of like to think of ourselves as, like, the GPs of, of food. Like, I was going to say lawyer. Yeah. You're sort of representing it. Your lawyer <laughs> career might come back in here representing well, the soya sauce. I kind of think we'd like to know, like, as much as we can about each one of these categories, but we also know where to go to for this information. So we can pick up the phone and speak to you, Marky, and ask those questions and, and come back with that. And it's a continuing process of learning all the time. Um, but you, I learn... Uh, when I was investigating this, that almost all the show you that I've ever had, soy sauce that I've ever had in Australia, is made with defatted soybean grits. And it's been that way since the end of the Second World War. And that's soybeans that have had, you know, essentially chemically extracted the soybean oil, and that's been sold as one commodity. And then the soybean grits, the leftover product, has been used to essentially fast ferment a soy sauce, and caramels have been added, preservatives have been added. And of course, that's right there is one of the major reasons why this tastes different. The miso, is that from there as well? Miso is from there as well. Um, so miso, miso. Miso, yeah, yeah. Miso is another incredible product. Again, almost everything that we get in Australia. In fact, almost everything that's produced in, lots of what's produced in Japan. Japan's a, you know, industrialised Western country uh, as well. So their food culture has been industrialised the same way as, our, as, ours, as ours have. And most of their shoyu and miso is made with defatted soybean grits as well. Um, so, But when you taste something that's made traditionally, as it has been for hundreds and hundreds of years by people that have made nothing but shoyu and miso for 100 years, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible, the flavour difference. What's, uh, you know, there's the whole thing about um, about local produce, and I know that you've got a lot of Australian products as well, um, and, you know, you're not going to get show you uh, or soy sauce, probably as good as that in Australia. But, you know, tell us about some of the, the awesome local products. We've got the Mount Zero and, as I said before, the Salumi, but tell us about a few of the, a few of the local ones. Yeah, so, we like, we work with heaps of uh, local producers, and um, I think wherever that we've got it, like, so... Olives and olive oil are a really good example of this. We don't do any imported olives or olive oil. Um, and not that there's not great olives and olive oil overseas. It's just that we have a plentiful supply of it here in Australia. Um, so, um, <laughs> cheers, <laughs> cheers, mate. <laughs> um, uh, so, um, yeah, so Mount Zero, wonderful producer, you know, Matt, uh, Rich from Mount Zero, um, we were just saying the other day, like we kind of grew up in the business uh, uh, together. Like it was one of our first, uh, first. Uh, uh, you might be hearing there, uh, Graham's trying to subtly open a beer. <laughs> might be no secret to anyone who knows us that uh, Graham and I like a drink together when we <laughs> catch up. Um, yeah, so Rich from Mount Zero, been, been you know, colleagues and, and, and mates on the same path for a long time and uh, I just... Uh, rate his products he makes beautiful olive oil and his olives are they're one of those products that you know every time i taste them i just like every time i'm just like you know 
fuck, that's delicious. You mm. know, like it's just an olive, but it's amazing. How's it um, compared to the ones, you know, overseas? Everyone's going to say Italian, yeah. so Spanish the, or whatever. Look, straight up, the big difference is these are naturally fermented. So there's a few different methods of making uh, olives. Um, so you can pick them off the tree, um, use essentially a lye. Um, you know, so you sell raw olives, you eat mm. one of those and they're really bitter, right? Yeah, so yeah. the preserving is how do you extract that bitterness but also preserve them. So the... The lye method uses essentially a caustic solution to wash away. That's very quick, so it's 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 cheap to do, um, and you tend to preserve the colour. So there's very bright green olives that are produced that way. But of course, you know um, anyone in food knows fats flavour, so you're stripping away those flavours, but also you're missing the flavours that come from long, slow fermentation. Um, Rich's olives are made in a much more traditional, much older method, which is you wait for the the the, the the fruit of the, the olive tree, the olive, to be really ripe. You pick them, uh, he hand harvests, um, and then you introduce them into big barrels with uh, a 10% brine solution, I think it is. So it's just water and salt. And then you screw on the lid of the, the barrel and then you let it go through a long fermentation process and maturation process whereby the, the bitterness leaks out, but also you get these beautiful fermentation flavours as well. Um, and then it's removed out of that very salty water and then uh, and then put into a less salty water for for storing and you'll get a texture out of those and a flavor that is just like absolutely unparalleled interestingly most australian olives are produced that way so if you if you can't get a, like mount zero's olives if you if you buy from you know uh any really you know any australian producer you're likely to be getting uh naturally fermented olives should we, should we open them all? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So these are Arbequinas. Um, they're a small olive. A lot of people like big olives and so do I, but these smaller ones tend to be quite high in like oil and big, big kind of flavoursome um, olive. The other thing about naturally fermented olives as well is you'll find that they that the flesh comes away from the seed really quite easily, and this is a real giveaway that the fruit was um, was fresh. That is uh, definitely one of your favourites, and we do uh, have these quite often whenever uh, we hang out. Mm. But, um, yeah, they are true. Delicious, eh? Yeah. So that's Rich, yeah, he's, he's great. Rich has done a lot of really good work with the, his local community as well. His farm's up in the Grampians, so they've, um, you know, it started with the olives and the olive oil. It's one of the oldest um, commercial olive growers mm. in Australia. Mm. Thanks, man. And... Um, and then he worked with some of the farmers who were growing pulses and grains in the in the Grampians area, and then um, more recently he's worked with the um, the ab local Aboriginal custodians of the land, the traditional owners, and worked on a project to um, hand harvest um, salt from a dry um, salt lake in the area, Pink Lake, um, and it, they um, they go out with wheelbarrows and um, with the local Aboriginal community, and they harvest the salt um, literally just with a, a scrape off the top layer where the dust is sort of settled and then they literally just the shovel dig up the the salt put it in barrels they dry it and that's it so it's extremely environmentally friendly um, no energy um, you know put into it and it's, it's um, really great for the community what about the you know the imported kalamata olive like they're naturally fermented kalamata's yeah. like um, dop uh, naturally fermented so they're 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 a good olive yeah yeah, yeah. Um, green sicilians are done with the lye method um, mm. so is that the only olive that you have like the mount zero one uh, we also do our own oil as well um, no olives oh olives yeah so we we do um, rich's olives from mount zero are like a premium olive 
And then we've got another range which we buy from other farmers under the Fino range, which are a, a lower price point. Um, yeah, nice. So you've got a bit of a, you can cross a few. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's so important. for different purposes, yeah. Um, tell me about them anchovies. Uh, so anchovies, again, another, you know, they're a polarising uh, product. But again, I think if you try uh, like a great anchovy, it's just a different, it's a completely different product. Um, it's also a product that, um, you know, whilst these are obviously um, more expensive than the cheapest ones, they're not that much more expensive, really. I mean, anyone can afford them. Um, uh, they go a long way. They go a long way. It's not like caviar. Caviar is expensive and rare, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But anchovies, if you want to buy them, you can. Um, you can buy the best anchovies in the world. Um, so Olasagasti, um, they're a company, um, family-owned company, well over 100 years uh, old again. Um, they're in um, the Basque country of Spain. Um, they fish in the Cantabrian Sea. The Cantabrian Sea has the best anchovies in the world. Um, and they're big, fat, really sweet. And again, it's this its this product, this culture that's been Wait making them. Did you just describe me and you or the anchovies? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, it's this product, this culture that's been just like producing this product for years and years and years. So they they know how to do it and um, they're, they're incredible. Um, yeah, should we open those up? This is actually Ventresca, which is the, the belly of tuna. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so okay. tuna, like... Um, Tuna really hasn't sort of caught on as in Australia as a as a preserved uh, product, but in Spain it's um, it's huge. In fact, Olastegasti, um, um, the family in um, in Cantabria. Um, Nick, can I run and grab a fork? There's yeah, forks. Of course. Fork. I literally. Oh, I'll pull it out this, mate. It's okay. good. Yeah. So grab 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 some of that, mate. So this is Ventresca. It's the belly of um, Benito del Norte, which is the like a white uh, tuna from the north, grab some of that, man. And if you flake it away, you'll see that it sort of comes away. <laughs> but this is one of the great delicacies. It's it's insane. So it's a really fatty tuna. This is too cold. Oh, mm. oh, you leave it in your mouth for a bit. I think okay. you have a, a, such a delicious range of uh, amazing things. No wonder... Um, you know, everyone looks up to what you do and um, and loves buying your products. Um, tell me about some more. Tell me about that that beautiful pasta sauce that comes from is it South Australia? Oh, Lucia's. Yeah, again. So we don't do any imported um, pasta sauces. Again, we've got a great Australian industry here. Mm. Um, and Lucia's, like they're they're the good example of sort of the people that we like to deal with. So um, the story of Lucia's where they came um, actually the grandfather of the, the sort of current generation who run the company um, came to Australia as a prisoner of war, an Italian prisoner of war, and he, like a lot of Italian prisoners of war, they, they came to South Australia and worked on farms and he actually really fell in love with Australia, um, was repatriated to Italy at the end of the war, moved back, immigrated to Australia, worked his guts out like so many immigrants did at that time and still do, and... Um, and bought the fare for his for his wife to come out, Lucia. And they came out and they bought the, as I understand, the first espresso machine in, in Adelaide, um, set up a little, uh, had a market stall at the Adelaide Central Markets, uh, trading tomatoes, growing tomatoes as well. And uh, still to this day, if you go to the Adelaide Central Markets, the um, as you walk in, Lucia's restaurant is there. And it's beautiful, old. Um, a must-see if you must go see. to Adelaide, yeah, actually. It's, it's like something yeah, you have yeah. to do. So, and Lucia's is still there producing all the same recipes that, that she did um, 
you know, um, sort of immediately after immigrating from from Italy. So they now produce with Australian grown tomatoes this um, really beautiful range of um, pasta sauces. Um, and it's one of those products you can really tell, like, the ripeness of the fruit that went into it. Um, it's uh, it's great. They're, like, they're more expensive than the really, like, confusingly cheap ones that you see from uh, that uh, that come from uh, that are imported mm. but again it's not they're not expensive mm. and that's the sort of thing that I like where you can buy something that's like absolutely the best for a couple of dollars more I think that's cool yeah I think so too I, I think that uh, well one just it's Australian fruit veg yeah so, yeah, yeah yeah well that's sort of what we aim for it's the same sort of philosophy as and I guess that's why we're mates is it's got to eat mm. you know it's got to you know have it's, yeah, eats the first mm. thing. Like so if it's taste not comes eating, first. Yeah, 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 yeah. Taste comes first. Yeah, that's my new T-shirt. Uh, you got up that T-shirt already. He's already got the T-shirt. Bloody hell. Our T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> um, look, we probably talk about products all day. Give me a couple more. Give me two more of your of your of your products that you love. Tell us about Salumi. I might have to do a podcast with them. D- tell me. I'll tell you about Salumi. I knew them when they were at um, the Northern making pizza. Oh yeah, yeah, before yeah nice one. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, um, Slim Australia, Northern Rivers, um, uh, producing uh, uh, some uh, Italian-style small goods with a, a Sardinian uh, bent, I guess, um, using local um, a local pork, and um, and we've been working with them for for a long time. Yeah, they've got a great, great range. Um, again, this is a fermented product, um, so it's a it's a flavour that. Um, you know, of course, all of the the imports are really important, and how they're handled, um, and they use uh, free range pork for all of their all of their salumi um, uh, as well. Um, but it's that long, slow fermentation that really develops that flavour. Well, I think we've already answered the question, but what else goes into you know, like because you could be a big producer or a great producer, but just can't get logistics right, or mm. you know, what, what what's the criteria to become a, a fino sort of you know, product that you would that you represent. Mm. So, uh, taste comes first always, and we've just got we've got this mantra that uh, you know, if we have something that blows us away, we co- sort of call it um, a food moment. And everyone everyone is like, I'm going to say foodie. It's a horrible word, but you know, everyone knows what it means. Uh, if you have a food moment, a food moment is like when you eat a product and you just kind of like momentarily forget where you are and you're just lost in the quality of the product. Just got a rule that if we 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 see a product like that, we have to move heaven and earth to make it work. Now, often in food, that means we're, we're often dealing with really quite small producers who may not be you know, quite ready yet, may not have the production capabilities, the packaging not, may not be right. But if it's a product of that quality, we will do all we can to, to help them move through those stages. Um, so the most important thing is, is, is taste. I mean, that's essentially it. I mean, beyond that, you know, as it is with vegetable growers as well, I guess there's a whole lot of other things you'd like to do, <laughs> and that, you know. When you send them an email, they reply and et cetera, et cetera. But particularly with cheesemakers, we have to make some allowances there. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. That's a, bloody, that's a difficult <laughs> time. But um, um, how, what did you do? Quickly give me a one-minute answer because no one, you know, I don't want to concentrate on this too much because I want to remain positive. But what happened for you? In in COVID, oh, well, look, you know, it was a hugely stressful time. It was like, you know, the the initial part of it was really, I guess, it felt um, 
you know, we were making lots of decisions, but on, in hindsight, they were kind of like the obvious decisions to make. They, they, yeah. they seemed really brave at the time, but, you know, they were just were very obvious. Yeah. Uh, so we had to scale back, cut costs. Um, we had to redeploy our team who has been mainly focused on food service or we had many reps that were mainly focused on food Ooh. service, retrain them, redeploy them to retail. We spent a lot of time uh, reaching out to our to our restaurant clients who were essentially in a worse position than we were. We had some retail trade, um, and we were like we were in a better position than you were. We had that we did have some trade, and we we cut a lot of cheese boxes, knocked on a lot of people's doors, went and visited them in their homes. I mean that was what we spent our our coming you know the the first few weeks uh, doing, yeah. Go for that one, mate. That's a that's an imported uh, raw milk um, manchego from a great producer oh, in Spain. Cool. It's incredible. Oh my gosh. Um, Amanda, I wish you were here just for the record because I know you love this. So yeah, it was just like like we spent a long time just kind of um, just commiserating with people, basically just yeah, sharing yeah. sharing that that, Being that there journey for them, with yeah. them. Yeah, and Do for I each know? other, like it. You know, our, our, some of our customers, like um, you know, Karen, one of our reps was. And gave me a call one day, and she was like, kind of, both almost like in tears and really happy. And she'd had, she'd shared some cheese, and uh, you know, on the deck of one of our one of our really good clients, and had had a drink, and you know, and that was an important moment for kind of both of us. And um, you know, yeah, we're on the other side, and I think me and you have become closer because we're putting a few of your wonderful products into our our boxes that we do. Um, just, I know we spoke just briefly, um, back it up to where I said every chef should go to Japan and understand the culture and the food and the, you know, the respect that the food and, and the history of the food gets. Um, how much travel, um, you know, do you get to do? And, you know, like, I mean, you probably don't do as much. Obviously, no one's been anywhere this year. Yeah, I've not literally so been nowhere not this so year. But, you know, and how important is that, you know? I think it's it's really critical, um, and I'd say like even for the domestic producers, um, uh, like absolutely for the domestic producers, um, it's really important. You can't. Um, there's a few things about it. I mean, you you can't understand the product unless you can, you're really standing there on the piece of dirt where it's produced. You just can't. And um, the other big thing I've learned is that some sometimes something for a producer because it's an everyday occurrence will seem like just like not important but i'll go there with a fresh set of eyes or with the you know trying to adopt the eyes of our producer of our customers rather and we'll go there and say no actually that's that's totally amazing that's incredible <laughs> yeah. like no that's something we need to tell mm. the chefs and there's good examples of where something might be a, a waste product as well out of the production but actually knowing what chefs are looking for um, and what Delhi's looking for to be able to go there and say, no, that's actually something that they would love to have or they can use it in this way. And it's about, about that joining together. How bad is the word middleman? Um, look, it's, it, you know, that's essentially what we are. Um, <laughs> but um, I think, uh, well, I think it'd be impossible. I know it'd be impossible without us. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, literally just the logistics yeah. side of things would be it. But if you're using it properly, you get access to a huge amount of knowledge. You get access to products that have been like the result of a lot of background work. You I know, know that you um, do like quarterly meetings with, with your chefs and, mm. you, you know, as many of the chefs as you can and, and try and plan through the next season, mm. whether it be food costing and all that sort of thing. And 
I know that you, um, know Gilmier and his uh, chef notebook thing, which is yeah, which is great, amazing great for lots of yeah. people. And um, so there is a lot more to it, and um, other than the people who know know. But um, yeah, it'd be like the same, absolutely the same with you guys, mate. Like you'd want you want someone to say, "Hey, I'm writing a menu." What these are the sort of fruit and vegetables I'm thinking about. What am I missing? And there might be a great opportunity of something coming onto the market that's going to be amazing, or there's something that's overlooked, or hmm. you know, and that's um, that's the best way to use this. What's the uh, like, you know, like packaging, plastic? You got any? What's going on there with you guys? What's I mean, probably nothing at the moment. I think we've moved, used more packaging in the last twelve months, no, the last bloody three months, than we have in the last ten years. But yeah, well, we like we're pretty light on with those sort of things. Like hmm. it's um, you know. Uh, the biggest the biggest environmental impacts we would have would be deliveries. So I'd say um, maybe order once a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, same with us, guys. Um, but yeah. no, I mean, I, I think our, our business by by its very nature is pretty low impact. Of course, there's things we can do around the margin, but everyone's doing those things. How do you look after yourself? Uh, I, I, you know, I think I, lo- I love the... Um, I love the business and it's endlessly interesting, um, uh, but trying to, uh, you know, have balance with that. So for me, it's family and, uh, you know, trying to get in some exercise where I can. Um, we should uh, work on that because yeah. these beer cans are heavy, but they get lighter real quick. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other, uh, my, my question I wrote down earlier, which um, a good mate of mine asked me to ask you, is how do you not eat all the cheese? I do eat all the cheese because <laughs> I um I can eat as much fruit and veg as I like. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, but ever since we introduced this sourdough from um from uh, Sammy down there, bread social, I, I've definitely put on weight. I'm yeah, not, you know, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I know that when we were doing the box drop offs over there, you were bringing me out cheese those cheese packs that you were giving people through COVID. Well, yeah. it helps if you cut like a thousand of them that day. Like the shine really, really comes off. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there you go, mate. There's a cheese box. Fuck off. Hey, you know? what's uh, a couple other questions? What's your what's your favourite cheap eat? You know, like just something that's um, you know meat on a oh, stick, meat and look, bread. Look, I can't go past. Like I was going to say barn me, but I, I love barn me. You know the pork set, the yeah, pork roll. But to be honest, like a really great uh, you know industrial takeaway shop. Ham salad sandwich. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> True colors. Yeah, exactly. And through. Wow. That was not the answer I was expecting. That's it, mate. Tell me your favorite style of chef, your favorite sort of eating experience. Give me a couple of those. All right. I want to be I want to be essentially left alone. I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be hassled. I want to um, I don't want to make any decisions. I want uh, and uh, I want the food to be Obviously, delicious. I want it to be simple. Uh, I want to be surprised uh, as well, but in it, surprised in a way that I, when I see a dish, I go, "Yeah, that makes sense. I really understand why you've done that. Those flavors, I would never have picked them up. Would never have thought of that dish. It's completely new and novel to me. But now that I see it, I can, it totally makes sense to me." Um, Josh Nyland at St Peter, great example of that. Um, had a buffalo mozzarella. And um, nectarine vinegar uh, 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 salad, a little bit of um, vanilla and um, a vinaigrette over the top. Insanely great. So left alone, love that. Um, because Ten Williams, like one of my all-time favourite places in the world. Yeah. You know, awesome. You know, tiny little bar, you know, amazing wines. Like can't read what they are, but you just say, give me some food, 
give me some wine. And so, I've never been left there. And it's also very warm and welcoming as soon as you walk in. Like restaurants can be quite intimidating places. But So um, I'm opening a restaurant. What do I have to have from Fina? Uh, Obviously well, the products we just spoke about. But, you know. Well, if it's the food that I like, that simple food that I like, I, you know, I think, you know, some nice charcuterie. Um, a big shout out to um, Robbie Bell at City Larder. He's a, he's a chef in in, uh, in Melbourne making amazing terrines and pâtés and things. I'd go low, like low impact, especially like in these, you know, kind of uncertain, unprecedented times we're talking about. Like having products that you can just slice and put up, I think it's, is, is awesome. So some beautiful prosciutto. You know, a couple of nice cheeses. You don't need heaps, but you know, a couple of a couple of nice ones. Rotate them through. Some beautiful olives. Uh, you know, some good bread. Good bread's amazing. You know, uh, some nice butter to go with it. All olive oil. Um, I'd like to season my food with some nice salt. Um, and um, yeah, just some fresh stuff and some beautiful vegetables. Some very <laughs> some good vegetables. Some good sides. <laughs> Well, mate, I think the, the whole vegetable side thing is was something that's been wonderful that we've seen, you know, grow. Like, the chef's really putting a lot of effort into... L.A., forget what the restaurant yeah. is. I spoke to Cordell from Labatt about it, and Cordell from uh, Becafino recently, mm. and Labatt. Uh, but there was, there was a restaurant in um, Santa Monica. No, where is that? Anyway, low, like, must have had 15 or 16 vegetable sides, mm. and... You could just live on the sides and get one protein, and it's yeah. great if you're, you know, like I'm awesome and and not 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 overpriced, not underpriced, mm. just fairly priced, but yeah, amazing vegetable sides, yeah, cheese, oil, yeah, it is, it is, yeah, pretty. totally simple things, and then using like different seasonings, and I think like vegetables can really be um, seasoned and made more interesting using things like the miso and the shoyu and things like that. Shoyu goes incredibly with uh, tomato; it's like to that interplay of the umami. There is something to be said about, there's a menu, but there is something to be said about just, you know, because I know that me and you, knowing the chefs, and, you know, it's almost a problem sometimes, where you go to a restaurant and you, and, and you just say to the guy, hey, you know, my wife's veg, vego, I'm definitely not, um, bring us some stuff. And then, you know, you, I've had many of amazing experiences like that. Mm. And I think sometimes that's what I like doing. Like you said, surprise, left alone. Blah blah, just come out and tell the story a little bit, and then nick off and give me some great wine. And um, totally, yeah, I could pour my own wine, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, my you know, just put it on the table, leave me alone. Yeah, you know. But um, yeah, I agree with you. If you if you trust the restaurant and they can they can do because they know when they on their like on their menu what what are the what are the great dishes what are you know yeah you know let you know that's the way to eat I think favorite fruit tomato. Definitely. Favorite, of course. Favourite vegetable? Oh, God, favourite vegetable. I don't know what that background noise is, guys, so I'm sorry. I have no friggin' idea what well, that is. Well, i tell you what. We're since you the... baked that pumpkin for me, yeah, it's yeah. pumpkin. That pumpkin. Uh, like, I went to, had dinner with Grant, at Graham's place the other night and he took a pumpkin, cut it in half, scooped it out, put an enormous quantity of butter in the middle of it <laughs> and a garlic clove and then baked it. It was freaking amazing. Yeah, it was. It's beautiful. Definitely one of my favourites as well. Mate, Fino, Michael Dalton, Fino Foods, uh, your wonderful wife, Nikki, and the, the amazing team there and your beautiful children. Uh, thank you for bringing us this amazing food. Thank you for doing the research. Thank you for going to the trouble of all the work that comes. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't, you know, you've had to do lots of work with who haven't worked out and, uh, it is a privilege knowing you as a friend and um, I have lots of respect for you and your company and uh, an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks, Graham. It's very nice of you to say. It's uh, been a privilege to be here too. Cheers, mate.